we're looking at the life of Joseph, who goes essentially from a little boy and his family to prison pits, to accused of crimes he didn't do, to becoming prime minister in the greatest nation of the world at that time, straight out of prison. G'day everyone. My name is uh, Tim Hawkins and you'll probably pick the slight Australian twang that's in there. Uh, my wife and I are Aussies, um, but seven years ago we felt the call of God to leave Australia, to come to the continent of Africa, to help raise up the next generation of African leadership. And it's wonderful to be part of Life Changes. We're here uh, in the evening congregation and it is seriously fantastic to join with you. Would you like to meet my family very quickly? Okay, up on the screen, the handsome man on, on the right is me, but the, be the beautiful lady on the left is my bride of 42 years. That is my wife, Karen, and she is absolutely luscious and uh, a fantastic blessing for me. The young lady sitting next to me is our firstborn, our daughter, Carly, uh, who's coming over on Tuesday to spend Christmas with her parents, which is pretty cool. So that's our, oh yeah, a round of applause for Carly Hawkins. Whoa. And the young man just behind me is our son, Joshua. His full-time job, he is, he is a social media influencer. That's what he does. And uh, he's married to Catherine, who is right next to him. And uh, we have two beautiful little granddaughters, um, Billy and Bobby. And uh, we miss them uh, terribly because uh, they're off in Australia. Uh, but that is my family. And uh, it is so good to be with you. If you're here in the building, if you're joining us online, are you ready for what God might do? Let me just double check that. Are you ready for what God might do? How about we ask him in prayer that he will speak powerfully to each one of us? Oh, Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that you are the one who speaks powerfully from your word. I pray for each person this morning that as we meet with you, we will be changed by you so that we leave here transformed and different from what we were when we came in. Thank you that this is all about you and that your love for us is so great. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, let me just make sure I can see, see my little notes here. We are in business. Listen, have you ever had one of those moments where you put on the spot, like somebody is challenging something you're doing or someone is challenging something you're saying and you, you've got to work out Will you just go with the flow or are you prepared to take a stand? Now, take a stand, that's our whole theme this morning. Take your stand. And I want to challenge you this morning whether God is actually calling for you to take your stand. And I'll tell you why it matters, because where you take your stand is where you take your life. I can remember many years ago as a youth pastor in Sydney, I was in an area of Sydney that had a lot of very recent Middle East migration. And while we welcomed all those new people coming to Australia, there were some tensions within that community because the majority of them were kind of Muslimish, 
and a smaller group were kind of Christianish, and there was tension between the two, and there was sometimes outbreaks of violence, and it was just an area you needed to be careful how you trod. Well, as being a youth pastor, I would go down to the local government high school and teach Christian scripture to the students. And because I would meet the students at school, often uh, on an evening, I'd go down to the shopping mall and just catch up with them. And there was a Muslim boy uh, about grade eight, and I often used to chat with him. One day he says to me, Mr. Hawkins, would, would you like to go and play pool? And I'm thinking, okay, this is a great opportunity. He said, and you can meet my big brothers and, and my uncles. And I thought, great. He takes me to a part of our city as we're walking that I had never been to before. There were some dark back alleys with abandoned sort of buildings. And we get to this three-story high looking like it's abandoned building. And we're going up the external fire escape on the outside. And when we get to the top... It's a very dimly lit room. There's about 20 pool tables, and the only light is the light that's over each table. And as I look in, I see that the room is full of very Middle Eastern-looking young men, and I work out I am the only white honky in the building. <laughs> he says, Mr. Hawkins, come down here. And as we walk past each table, the guys stop playing, and they start following us with their pool cues in their hands. And he gets me right down to the end and says, sit down. And there's about 30 or 40 young Middle Eastern young men standing around me. And he says, this is, this is Mr. Hawkins. He is a teacher at our school. He said, Mr. Hawkins, these are my brothers and cousins and uncles. They are kind of restless, and there's a guy in the middle who's obviously like the leader, and they're all sort of looking at him, and he sort of comes a little bit closer, and he says, you teach at my brother's school? And I said, yes. <laughs> what do you teach? Now, let's just pause. The correct answer is Christian scripture. Now, that's the correct answer. But in the nanosecond I had to plan my response, I did a number of things. I calculated the distance between there and the exit, and I factored in my acceleration possibilities, and I worked out I would never make it. Just for a moment, I thought of saying, oh, I'm an art teacher. Um, but surrounded by the somewhat solemn and angry-looking young men, he says, what do you teach? And I said, I teach Christian scripture. And this guy comes up close to me, pull, pull cue in hand, and says, you teach Christian scripture? I said, yes. He says, tell us about Jesus. Now, I don't quite remember what I said for the next few minutes. It was one of my shorter messages, I think. But you understand that just at that point, I had to determine, would I just go with the flow and get myself out of it, or would I actually take a stand which could have led to danger? And I want to challenge you as to whether you are ready to take that sort of stand for Jesus. Because that absolutely matters. There are values, there are principles, there are beliefs that you have that you think really matter. And you've got to work out what they are. 
There are beliefs, you've got to work out beliefs that you're willing to live for and beliefs that you're willing to die for. So that when you're put under pressure, will you stick to your principles or will you just cheat a little bit to find an easy way out? Now, we've been doing over the last couple of months a series called The Promotable Life. And you might be thinking, promotable life? What's that? It's simply a life where you get to achieve all the things that God has planned for you to achieve. And sometimes we think of your promotable life is simply doing anything you can to get your way. But I want to say it's nothing like that, and I simply want to challenge you. Are you prepared to take a stand for Jesus? Because if, you're not pre- if you don't take a stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Have you got that? If you don't take a stand for something, you will fall for anything. Because where you take your stand is where you take your life. Now, we've been following the career of a guy in the first book of the Bible called Joseph. This is actually our last message at this stage, although next year we're going to pick up the second half of Joseph's remarkable life and see how God used him powerfully. But what you can notice about Joseph is that consistently he makes decisions which honour God and show his faithfulness. Time and time again, he makes the right choice. And the reason he's able to do that is that he makes his stand in the cool of the day rather than waiting for the heat of the moment. Have you worked that out? You you determine your principles when things are relaxed so that when the pressure's on, you will stick to them. Some years ago, as a youth pastor in Australia, uh, one of the boys in our youth group, he was about matric age and a Christian young man, and he had a Christian girlfriend, and uh, he's chatting with me. He says, uh, my girlfriend, she, she rang me up last weekend. Yeah. And she said to me, look, my family's gone away for the whole weekend. Why don't you come over? And as a caring youth pastor, I thought... Oh, and how did you reply? He said, I love you very much, but if there's nobody at home, I'm not going to come over because I know that if I did, the pressure would be too great and we'd actually both end up in a mess. And I thought, good on you. Like, well done. But you understand, you make your stand in the warmth of God's presence so that you will stand up to the pressure in the heat of the moment. You've got to take your stand now. You don't wait till the pressure's on you. You don't wait to say no when you're sort of hot and haunted by your past failures. You take your stand now so that you'll stand for Jesus tomorrow. Where you take your stand is where you take your life. You want to get into the Bible to see Joseph do this? Once more. Do you want to get into the Bible to see Joseph do this? Okay, you've got your Bibles there. We're going to Genesis chapter 39, and we're going to stay there for a while. If you've got it there, you'll be able to follow along. Let's pick it up in the heat of the moment. And I want you to see, firstly, Joseph's trusted position. Now, this was a passage that Mark took us through some weeks ago and gave us an overview of the whole thing. I want to focus in on two key verses that are in this passage. And you would know from Joseph's background, if, anyone, if there was anyone that had a reason to turn away from God, like it was Joseph. 
started with what looked like a favoured life. He was attacked by his brothers. They ganged up on him. They beat him to within an inch of his life. They left him abandoned in a well. Eventually he survived and they sold him to foreign slave traders who took him off to the land of Egypt. He's put out at a slave auction. People bid for him and he ends up as a slave in the household of a guy called Potiphar who is a government official. An important person in the land of Egypt who would often be away for long times on government business, which left Joseph at home with Potiphar's hot wife. <laughs> Here's the temptation. We're in Genesis chapter 39, and we'll pick it up halfway through verse 6. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Somewhat like our senior pastor. <laughs> Candace is cheering right now. Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. <laughs> now, fellas, can we just pause there? Because some of the guys are thinking, really? Because see, us guys like to think that we will have a magical line that somehow allures a lady to come and become our friend. There's a pickup line that we're searching for to seal the deal. Now, here's the problem for all you people. Like, we're Christians, and this is a church, and you're meeting somebody at church. So what do you do, like, for a, a Christian pickup line? Hmm, nice Bible. I mean, what do <laughs> I'm studying the book of Numbers and I realize I don't have yours. <laughs> but Joseph doesn't need a pickup line because she's the one who says, Come to bed with me. And some of the guys here are thinking, like, this is like my dream, this is like my fantasy that this happened. Can I just assure you, if your dream involves a sin, your dream is a nightmare. Here's the problem with sin. It always looks attractive. If it didn't look attractive, you wouldn't do it, but it will always destroy you. Because if something was good for you, God would have said, I want you to do it. If God says, no, stay away, he's saying that will destroy you. It's like the high cholesterol, overweight, elevated blood pressure, heart bypass candidate looking at that solitary piece of double whipped chocolate Bavarian pie. It looks fantastic. It will clog their arteries and kill him. You understand sin is like, sin is like taking the ultimate thrill of a bungee jump where nobody has checked the rope. Like it's absolutely thrilling on the way down. That, that's about it, actually. <laughs> you understand it's deadly. It's like the little toddler wanting to play with the pretty sparks that are coming out of the old electric toaster. It looks attractive, but God says, no, it will destroy you. And there is Joseph being tempted not just once, but every single day. Chapter 39 of Genesis, verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or to even be with her. He had already taken his stand that he was going to be faithful to his God. He was not going to get sexually involved with someone and he was not married to. Now, there's a cost 
for taking your stand. You might think, so if I do what is right, the world will love me and will reward me. No. You know what happens to Joseph. We've covered this before. When he refuses to go to bed with this luscious lady, she falsely accuses him of rape. Her husband imprisons him and leaves him languishing with no hope of parole for years and years in a rotten jail cell. You see, if you decide to do what is right, don't expect that the world will reward you. But you don't do it to get the reward. You do it because it is right. You do it because you've taken a stand that you will honour Jesus. Can I show you four stands that Joseph takes in this little encounter? Four safety barriers that he, he puts up. Four decisions that he makes so that he will remain faithful to his God. And if you want to be a promotable person, then these are four decisions that I want to challenge you to make as well. And three of these come from just two verses. Genesis 39, verses um, 8 and 9. So let's just have a look at those. Genesis 39, verse 8 and 9. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Can I show you the four stands that Joseph takes and challenge you to take these own stands in your own life. Number one, he says, I will not let others down. Look back at verse 8. He talks about his master, Potiphar. Verse 8, everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. He says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. You see, he knows that if he sins, he will let other people down, and that is always true. If I let my integrity fall, I let other people down. Sin is like that. It's unfair. I do the sin. Other people get affected by it. Let's imagine, you know, when you were a teenager, remember those days, your parents go away for the weekend, and they say, we're leaving you in charge of the house, because we trust you. You decide just to have a little party and just invite a few friends and you put it on social media just so, you know, everybody knows and hundreds of people show up and trash your house and the police come. Um, do you understand your action didn't just trash the house, your action trashed your relationship with your parents. The trust they had built up in you over years, you demolished in a moment. Sin is always like that. You always let other people down. If you and you're a young lady somewhere are going to go, you know, exploring and groping and looking and all that sort of stuff, you are letting them down if you don't take your stand where Jesus is. And if you happen to be married while you're doing this, there is a wife or a husband at home that you're letting down and your children. 
Do you understand how it just spreads? And if you're not married yet, there is someone you're letting down you may not have met yet. Your future marriage partner will be let down simply by that one wrong action. And Joseph, that's the first stand that he makes. And he simply says, I will not let others down. And I challenge you to make that same stand. Are you ready for stand number two? I will not let myself down. Look at verse 9. Second half of verse 9. How then could I do such a wicked thing? That is, you violate your own standards. It does something to you on the inside. Even if you've got a sin that is just so private and so personal, nobody else in the universe actually knows about it. It eats away at you on the inside and you know that feeling of guilt, that feeling of failure, that feeling of regret. It just haunts you and stays there. And that's the second stand that Joseph takes where he says, I will not let myself down. Stand number three. I will not let God down. Look at verse 9 again. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph had already decided to obey God, to be a man of integrity, to be a man who oozes all the values of God's kingdom, and he knows if something is not right, it is not right against God. The sin is not just against another person. It's not just against yourself. Every one of our rebellions is actually against God. It's our sins that nailed Jesus to that tree. And Joseph is determined he will not let God down. That's stand number three. Number four is where he takes action. Look at verse 12. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Do you understand his fourth stand is to run? And I think if only we would run away from sin, if only we would flee from temptation, if only we would run away from the things that are dragging us down and run straight into the arms of Jesus who is just waiting for us to strengthen us, to love us and to forgive us. And if you want to have a heart that is like that for Jesus, then you need to make that stand that you will get clear away from the things that will drag you down. Now, can I give you an honest reflection here? This is the biblical way of dealing with temptation. But sometimes I have chosen an alternative method of dealing with temptation. So the way that works is the biblical way. Run. Can I contrast it with a less effective way, which I'll just call the Hawkins method? It doesn't work. The Hawkins method is... No, I'm not going to do it, but I'll just play around with it a little bit. No, Satan, I'm not going to give in to your temptation, but just give me like a few more details of, you know, what it might be like hypothetically if I did it. You understand the danger with that. Let me show you. Over here, this is the evil side of the church. Apologies to everyone in this section. This is temptation staring at me. Okay, there's something on my phone that I know I shouldn't be watching. It's just not right. It degrades everybody. The Hawkins method is to say, well, look, I'm not going to look at it, 
Um, but, well, hang on. Let me just check one last time to make sure I shouldn't look at it. Um, I'm not going to look at it, but I'll keep it in my favourites tab. I'll just keep it there one day just in case I need it. And, of course, my phone is coming with me. Do you understand that's not a good method? The Bible method is, here's the problem on the phone. The Bible says, run! <laughs> Physically get away from it. Look, I'm a youth pastor. I work with the most wonderful people on the planet, teenagers and 20s, seriously. Great people. But I say to guys, and they tell me you know, the stuff on their phone, I say, leave it in your room. Leave your phone in your room and walk out of the room. Go somewhere, go outside, get a moment to, to pray to God. Just simply get away from it. You understand how hanging around and running away are the opposites of each other. Okay, there's a party I want to go to, and that's fine. It's friends. There's going to be alcohol here, and that's fine, you know. But I know that if I start drinking alcohol, I'll probably drink just a little bit too much. And before I know it, I'll just be a little bit tipsy. Not drunk, of course. Just a little bit tipsy. And there's an invitation to the party. The hanging around method says, well, I'm, I'm not going to get drunk. Like, I'm just not. I'll just go to the party and just drink, you know, dry lemon. Um, or maybe I'll have maybe just one beer, just, you know, the half-strength stuff. And, you know, no more than two every hour. Um, and, and you can see what's going to happen, don't you? Nothing wrong with the party. Nothing wrong with alcohol. But the running away says, if that's the danger, I'm just getting out of there. I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I know the temptation might just be too strong for me. I heard about a guy who ran a uh, trucking company and he needed one more company truck driver. And there were three men applying for the job. The three men are sitting in the waiting room and he calls the first one in and the first man comes back pretty quickly. And the other two saying, what did he say? What happened? He says, well, he only asked one question. What was it? He said, if I was driving one of his company trucks, how close could I drive it to the edge of a cliff and remain safe? What did you say? I said, I could confidently get it within 10 meters. Was that close enough? No. I didn't get the job. Second guy goes in, same question, and he explains, he, I said I could get it to within five meters. Was he impressed? No, I didn't get the job. Third man goes in, same question. If you were driving one of my company trucks, how close could you drive it to the edge of a cliff and still be safe? And this was his answer. He says, sir, if I was driving one of your company trucks, I wouldn't go anywhere near the edge of a cliff. That man got the job. You understand with temptation, there might be a thrill of thinking, how close can I get to sinning without actually sinning? Like there's the cliff edge. I'm thinking, okay, there's temptation. I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to stumble. But how close can I actually get? without actually sinning. Do you understand a recipe for disaster? And the Bible is saying, stay right away from the edge of the cliff and stick to your stand to follow Jesus. Because remember, temptations are like stray dogs. If you start feeding them, they come back and they bring all their friends with them. Now, can I just pause here?
Because for some of us, the question is, but what if I've already failed? Like, what if I've messed that side up? Can I just say here, there is always hope. That hope has a name. That name is Jesus. And in Christ, there is the offer of full forgiveness and full restoration and full um, freedom from all the things that might drag you down. Now, how is it possible that if I've defied the living God, there can be full and free forgiveness? It's simply because Jesus has taken a stand for you. Jesus took a stand which said, uh, He looks you in the eyes and He loves you and He says, I would rather die than spend eternity without you. Because let me tell you what patch of ground He took His stand on. He took his stand on the end of a Roman whip. He took his stand underneath crowns of thorns being hammered into his head. He took his stand on a Roman execution machine. He took his stand in a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. He took his stand outside the city where the criminals were. He took his stand where the shame of the world fell upon him and he took that stand so that you could be forgiven. He took His stand for you by taking away every one of your sins, by getting the punishment that you deserve for defying the living God and taking that punishment Himself, that His death becomes our life and we can be freed to be His people even when we have messed up. Jesus took His stand for you so that you can take a stand for Him. Every sin taken away, every stuff up absolutely forgiven. Any barrier that would stop you from getting into heaven has been absolutely destroyed. Can I read to you two verses from the New Testament which simply reflect on the magnificence of the forgiveness which is yours in Christ? This is the first letter of John, chapter 1, verses 7 and 9. But if we walk in the light, just as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to take your next step or find out what is happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. Cheers.